once you burn bridges and once you, you know, you don't want to make people feel like they're not doing the right thing. So I tell people like those two really, really bad experiences made me a better manager, made me a better person. We've been working on how do we implement the continuous improvement culture here at Illumina. Um, and, you know, after hearing you guys present with, I believe, Karen about the kind leader and all these other concepts that really hit home with me and really made me feel like respect is the minimum, right? I, I have to respect everybody, but in order to really help them achieve their best or transform our culture, I need to care about them. Hi everyone, I'm Tracy O'Rourke. And I'm Elizabeth Swan. We're from the Just In Time Cafe and welcome to our podcast. At the cafe, we wrestle with tough questions. We talk to groundbreakers. We discuss great books and we get insights from Lean Six Sigma practitioners. We let you in on helpful apps, bring you the news, and challenge the status quo so you can build your problem-solving muscles. Hey, Elizabeth, what's on the cafe menu? Well, Tracy, today's highlight is our interview with Pilar Zimmerman, Operational Excellence Senior Manager at Illumina. Pilar helps drive strategy deployment and continuous improvement at Illumina's San Diego site. Next up, it's an app that enhances any media with intuitive visuals. That's intriguing. And for Q&A, we asked our problem-solving community if there were any downsides to using survey data to measure process improvement. And I will say that we do not suffer from a lack of opinions, <laughs> which is gratifying. It, it is gratifying. It, and it it's makes it a, nice to hear what people have to say. Yes, it is, which makes it a spirited day at the cafe, Tracy. Up next, it's Hot Apps. Yes, Tracy, today's app is called The Noun Project, and it is an explosive library of icons and photos that you plug anywhere for a very affordable price. Yeah, I thought that was an interesting title. I wasn't sure what that was. I thought it was something related to nouns and verbs. Um, and so I was actually pleasantly surprised to realize that it's about images and icons. So right now, the Noun Project has 3 million icons and counting to choose from. They also have a photo library to choose from. I was exposed to the Noun Project and I didn't even know it because I use Mural, the digital whiteboard, and they make these icons available for all of their users. So I was lucky and blessed with this app and I didn't even know. They literally have any icon you can possibly think of and many that you hadn't thought of too. So when you look at the icons and the images, you can tell that they are very thoughtful and progressive. That's why I was pretty impressed. Right now, they're doing an iconathon and highlighting some new icons that are geared towards re redefining women. So I was excited about that. Female icons, if you will. And last year, they launched an art quality photo collection celebrating diversity and representing a more inclusive world. I was really, really moved by some of their images. They made me happy. Aww. So yeah, not that I'm not happy, but I'm happier when I saw them. So Elizabeth, what did you discover when you looked it up? Um, I think it made me happier too. Uh, I was curious about their origins. That's that name again, the Noun Project. You know, what did, 
what was that about? And I found that they launched on Kickstarter in December of 2010. And their goal was to build a global visual language that united the world. You know, like that's kind of a beautiful mission. And they've grown to become an impressive resource. So here's a quote from them. Our community of designers from 120 plus countries is building the most diverse and extensive collection of iconography ever created. Icons are some of the most universal communication tools available, crossing language and cultural boundaries. From icons for artificial intelligence to UI elements and Beyonce, we've got you covered. <laughs> I just love that. You know, so that just the messaging on their site got me. So on a practical level, I discovered that you can apply for a student or educator discount. It's already very affordable, but if you need it, you can get another discount. Um, and you and I are teaching at UC San Diego and UC San Diego Health. So I immediately thought about, you know, icons for the university's training materials, right? One thing I want to help them with is differentiating between activities and discussions. So icons would be super handy, or maybe it's on-site activities versus online activities. Again, uh, we have options now for these courses everyone does, or most people do. So, you know, what would make good icons to signal those? So I signed up and then I searched on the word activity in their icon list, really simple design, right? Just the search is really simple. Just type in the word you're looking for an icon for. Um, but I typed in activity and I got a bunch of heart monitors. <laughs> so it's like, okay, not EKG activity. So then I searched on exercise. And as you might guess, it gave me a lot of people working out. So then I put in timer and that seemed good. You know, super simple uh, concepts and clock icons are great signals that you're about to run an activity. So then I clicked on a particular clock icon and then it said, it gave me a button that said, get this icon. So I clicked that button and then it gave me three pricing options. You can do 39 bucks a year, unlimited. You can do a single pro downline, uh, download for $2.99 or you can do a basic download for free. They just ensure that you include an artist attribution. So you'll get the icon and you'll, get, you'll see the artist's name connected to it. Uh, you can download it as an SVG file, which stands for scalable vector graphic, which doesn't <laughs> rely on pixels. <laughs> or a PNG or ping file, which stands for portable graphics format. And I'm thinking portable graphics format. So that doesn't, that's different. That's PGF, but then, <laughs> I guess it's hard to say. So they went for ping. And anyway, you know, I have a thing against acronyms and I especially don't like ones that make no sense, but I'm getting off topic. So who really cares what ping stands for? It's simply the most frequently used uncompressed raster image format on the internet. Okay, I'll stop. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's, I'm going to stop that. So bottom line, you get this massive uh, library of icons to make your presentations easier to read easier to understand and visually intriguing. And to your point, kind of like culturally hip, right? You can create your own standard library, which is appealing, or you can simply go there to get ideas. I give it two thumbs up, Tracy. How about you? Me too. Two thumbs up. I'd say go check it out, especially the, well, the icons are awesome, but the images were beautiful. I mean, I loved them. They were really progressive, moving, diverse, inclusive, really cool. 
I'm Elizabeth Swan, and you're listening to the Just in Time Cafe podcast. In a short while, you'll get to hear our interview with Pilar Zimmerman. Next up, it's an issue we posted to our community. Should you base your improvement efforts on surveys? And there's stirred up a lot of talk on LinkedIn. The story I started with was a UC San Diego health student who wanted to improve the patient scores relating to noise in the hospital. So like you would do, Tracy, I asked a bunch of questions like what process would you be studying? You know, I'm thinking about sources of noise. And we were discussing it and she said, well, it comes, maybe it's people in the hallway, maybe it's machine made noises. And she mentioned, she thought that the, the numerous equipment alarms were keeping people awake so they wouldn't get a good night's sleep. So I told her, you know, go do a little more digging and see if there's other metrics you could use, you know, instead of, aside from the survey, you know, could you measure, measure decibels? It might not be, might not be easy, but it's a possibility. It's a measurement with sound. Or could you measure the number of alarms? Again, as you and I both know, it's measurement is the tough part. And she came back after going to the Gemba and speaking to patients, and she discovered that alarms did not keep them up. Like the mere fact of being in a hospital was enough to ward off sleep. So she picked a different project. And I know you see this too, Tracy. Uh, team leads want to tie their success to a survey score. And we're not sure that's a metric they can control, right? Absolutely. I see this happening, especially in my Greenbelt classes. My goal is to try to help Greenbelts be successful in their project. And a big part of that is project selection, problem identification, and defining what metric is going to be best to capture what they're trying to improve. And I really try to explain the risk of using a lagging indicator like survey scores and try to explore a metric that's closer to the process work that they're gonna be doing. A metric like lead time or accuracy or waste reduction or number of steps reduced. Ultimately, it may affect a survey score, but there could be so many other things that could affect a survey score that have nothing to do with the project effort. So banking on that metric is risky as from, a, from getting results perspective and not necessarily a reliable measure for their project work. So that is a conversation that I've had a number of times over the years. And I'm, I'm gonna have to agree with uh, the hospital. I, I, I'm not in the hospital much, so that's good. But the, many, the few times I was in the hospital, it wasn't the alarms that were keeping me awake at night. It was just people coming in and out all the time and just you know being in a hospital. So yeah, absolutely, I agree with that too, from a customer perspective. Yeah. Um, so here's what we heard from some of our colleagues. Uh, Ashley DiGiovanni, who's a senior learning designer at Cerner Corporation, she said, I agree with this 100%. I tell people all the time the surveys are fine, but can't be the only data and metrics you focus on for the exact reasons you mentioned. I have also challenged people, have you actually gone and talked to the people you have surveyed to dig deeper and to get a better understanding? I like that a lot. Yeah, me too. Here's a different take from Stephen Thompson, lean specialist at Washington State Auditor's Office. He pointed out the flip side. He said that a lot of surveys are the problem that needs to be solved. Double-barreled questions, questions that presume to know what the needs of the customer actually are. Those make for problematic surveys. He recommended that team leads approach the people designing the surveys and say, we are held responsible for indicators from this survey. It doesn't help us improve and here's why. Here are the questions we would find helpful. 
Survey owner, can you change your survey or help us find other ways to get this information? I love that too. And, you know, I had some firsthand experience with a survey um, for King County. And thankfully, those questions were really directly related to a lean culture. So they were really lucky that they were asking those kinds of questions. Yeah, it can be great questions. Um, here's some good guidance from Craig Tickle. He's a senior consultant at Kaizen Institute. And he pointed out that we push people to have a measurable entity for projects and satisfaction scores are convenient, but these metrics reflect a combination of causes. So they're difficult to unbundle. They're easy to obtain, but they leave the project without focus. So better to find a focal point at the beginning of the project rather than find you lack focus when arriving at the analyze phase. So I like that term he used. It's difficult to unbundle, right? Mm -hmm. they're, they're easy metrics. So I see why people go there and why you and I try to help uh, students sort of find another path, but mm -hmm. um, they're, they're hard to, to tease out. Yes. Here's one from Dwight Harris Jr., business transformation and operational excellence speaker. He echoes Stephen Thompson's issue that surveys often go wrong. He raises a number of considerations, but one thing he points out is that the pool of participants in the survey should be both random and representative of the larger population. That's something we often fail to consider when looking at survey data. data. <laughs> Considering the UC San Diego Health Greenbelt, which patients respond to the survey? Which patients didn't respond? Those are important things to think about. Yeah, because consider your own behavior. You generally respond to surveys when you're really pissed <laughs> or someone just saved a situation and you're overjoyed. So the survey results could be all ones and tens. And then if they use an average of five, that's completely misleading. Uh, Suzanne Clark, head of service excellence at Bournemouth University in England, reiterates that there's a danger of jumping to solution and focusing on the wrong problem based on our assumptions of survey data. Yes, Elizabeth, in other words, well, another contributor says operational excellence expert, John McArdle, the quality of the survey does matter, but more importantly, much depends on the depth of the root cause understanding that follows. They can be good starting points though, but you do need to dig deeper. To quote organizational change manager Marlise Bartz, this is a great reinforcement to walk the gemba. I think Pilar is going to talk about that too. Yeah. So these are uh, great information from our community. They're always really generous with uh, trying to help our students and our community out. And the, the survey versus process issue is a constant, but there's a lot of ways you can do a lot of good with it. I'm Tracy O'Rourke, and you're listening to the Just In Time Cafe podcast. We host these monthly, so you can go to www.jitcafe.com and go to our podcast page to listen to this one, as well as all the other ones we've done. Coming up next, it's our featured guest, Pilar Zimmerman. Tracy, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about Pilar? I would love to. I love Pilar, first of all. And she works for Illumina as a senior manager for operational excellence here in San Diego. She and I have crossed paths several times over the last few years. Illumina, first of all, sends employees to my UC San Diego Greenbelt course, and they've hosted a tour of their facility for that particular class in the past. And I'm really hoping after this whole thing with COVID, 
blows over, I mean, to a degree, that we can get to more tours. But she also has a long history of continuous improvement experience dating back to 2003. She's worked for Parker Hannafin, for Care Fusion, and many others. And she's an incredibly interesting person, and I am so excited she's coming to the cafe. Hey, Pilar, welcome to the cafe. Thanks for joining us. We're so excited to have you. Thank you. It's actually a huge honor for me to be here. Well, we want to hear all about you, all about Illumina and your journey. But first, tell us a little bit about you and your background a little bit. Um, I was born in Mexico. Actually, I was born in Tijuana, and there's a lot of manufacturing there. Um, it's kind of interesting. I went to school for electronic engineering. I've never worked as an electronic engineer. I have worked in quality. I have worked in OPEX for a long time. Um, at my last company, I was supporting engineering facilities in EHNS. And, you know, it's, it's kind of funny. I was born to a single mom. I didn't grow up with any brothers or sisters. So I was a strong one. My mom had muscular dystrophy. So I had to do everything around the house. Well, not everything, but, you know, like there was nothing that it was like, oh, no, this is a guy's job. Or I never saw it like being an engineering would be different. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I think like kind of the first thing when I went to engineering, it was four females on our in electronic engineering class and everybody else was a male. So it, it was kind of interesting. Uh -huh. That was the first time that I had mostly male, like guys, friends, um, but I loved it. And I love manufacturing. I always knew that it probably in Mexico, I was never going to be involved in R and D, but it was, it was a very interesting experience. And once I came to San Diego and the U S you know, the possibilities were endless. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know, I think what you said was very interesting. You being a single child, only child, but female. I come from a family of three sisters. And so what they say is there's a lot of <clears throat> data that shows that when you have a single sex or a single gender being raised, they're actually less prone to the gender roles because they do everything, right? So like we right. mowed the lawn, we you know, whatever we did, it, there was, we were not treated any different because of our gender. And I think what you said, uh, I, that resonates with me too, because it was kind of the same. Um, you know, I never really thought I couldn't do anything or I wasn't supposed to do anything because I was a girl, which is, which was nice. I actually love mowing the lawn and that kind of work because you get immediate results, right? At work is more strategic. There's some long-term, there's some that, you know, take a while to get results mowing the lawn, doing some manual work, like in an hour, three hours, you're done. And it's like, oh, it's done. <laughs> you achieved something. Yes. Yeah. And you're not plagued with, could I have mowed it better? <laughs> right. <laughs> totally. Um, Matt, that is a fascinating background. So not only, so lots of reasons for you to be able to do everything. So uh, I know kind of we are basically the product of our struggles, right? The things that uh, we look back and go, wow, I'm really good at dealing with uh, adversity because I grew up doing that. You know, I got, I, I was born to that and that serves us well. You know, if we think about the things that drive us and make us great at our jobs um, and you clearly are really good at your job. Mm -hmm. so, I can tell you, oh, sorry. Um, no, no, go. 
I was going to say, I always tell people about two things in my life that made me have made me a better manager and they're bad things, right? Like one of them, well, I tell the example of, I grew up, I was super OCD, very perfectionist, again, single child, like I could do everything straight A's. Um, I remember planting beans and then counting how many beans I got and then extrapolating to if I wanted a thousand beans, I have to have these many plants and blah, blah, blah. Um, and that was me being very, very young, probably like 10 or 11. Um, I had my budget in a kind of, I, it was not Excel, but it was some kind of worksheet before, you know, again, very, very young. Um, and we got into a car accident when I was 12, my aunt was driving, my cousin and I were in the middle seat and we landed in the back seat because we flipped. And that was the first time that I realized that I can't have control of everything, right? Stuff happens, even the best laid plans, sometimes they'll go great. And then um, my mom got breast cancer when I was 15 and she ended up passing away when I was 20 after three separate battles with breast cancer. But a lot of that made me really appreciate relationships in even in continuous improvement, even in the optics world, driving change, really, really, you know, being aware of those relationships and that once you damage them, it's never the same. Mm-hmm. Um, driving change in, in really appreciating in, um, holding people dear and not just like, I, it's not my way or the highway. It's not, um, we want to win and at, at any cost, right? Because once you burn bridges and once you, you know, you don't want to make people feel like they're not doing the right thing. So I tell people like those two really, really bad experiences made me a better manager made me a better person um in in personality tests my my a type personality is actually mute like a little bit muted um as it as if i hadn't had those experiences so i totally agree you know like i don't necessarily see it as a struggle but i think it's something it's it's very impactful experiences that mark me for life Mm -hmm. you just use the term that's so interesting that you hold people dear And so when I hear that, I think, oh, what a really nice twist on respect for people. And that you grew up with this sense that is a core foundational principle of lean. Right. Yes. And we're we've been working on how do we implement the continuous improvement culture here at Illumina um, and you know, after hearing you guys present with, I believe, Karen about the kind leader and all these other concepts that really hit home with me and really made me feel like respect is the minimum, right? I I have to respect everybody, but in order to really help them achieve their best or transform our culture, I need to care about them. Um, I always tell the example when I'm giving training about my mom, when I was little and little kids don't like to shower, she would be like, Hey, do you want to shower? And I'm like, no, thank you. (laughs) And she would say, can I borrow your ball? And I'm like, sure. And she would take my ball and my Barbies and some other stuff. And then I would end up like, can I shower with you? (laughs) So 
<laughs> a lot of it for me is I'm, I don't want to be an auditor. I don't want to be a police officer. I want them to know, understand, and want to change and know that it's not for me. We're not doing it for me. We're not doing it because I want to. It is to improve their processes and have less pain. Mm. Yeah. So if you, so listening to you and your incredible background, what got you into process improvement in the first place? What do you remember the moment, the spark, what caused you to go down that road? Um, I can't really point a finger in on it. I actually took my green belt when I was at Parker Hannafin very recently after I graduated from college. And it was funny. I, when we were doing design of experiments by hand, I was like, oh, this is like binary code, like zero, 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 one, like you turn on and off your factors. So that came natural to me. And um, when I was working at Carefusion in St. Louis, there was an opportunity for me to go into that area. And I've combined it since with, you know, being a functional manager or functional leader with the um, OPEX excellence, like, or continuous improvement type of work. I think it really goes well with my personality and my, and my strengths, um, you know, learning, um, being positive and, and now, and I'm sorry, analyzing data and, I love all that. And I love working with people. I don't think I could be a teacher, but as a part of my job, I love doing training. I love um, helping people out, solving problems, be kind of like a detective and using data to make decisions. Yeah. Just listening to you talk, <clears throat> you know, we just, we just uh, were talking about an article that we saw in Harvard called the paradoxes of leadership. And I, when I hear you talk, I hear these two paradoxes is the st statistics and the binary thinking, but the caring about people. And that to me is a paradox, kind of like some people say, oh, I'm a people person or I'm a math person. Uh, you know, like accounting people say, well, we don't go into accounting because we're people people, right? You know, <laughs> but I hear this paradox of leadership with you, which is really interesting. I think that, you know, I, I don't think of myself as a traditional engineer. I am very people oriented. I'm very outgoing. One of my strengths um, is communication. If you if you heard about the Gallup Strength Finder, um, that's has been my number two or number three. And I believe, you know, even at home or anywhere, I don't feel like I need to be a jerk to uh, produce good results, to change, to drive, to influence. I feel like that doesn't get you the results you want, especially sustainable results. So I've always thought that, you know, I hold myself accountable first and I drive a improvement kind of by being nice. Like, I feel like being nice is really important. And um, I remember years ago, there was another type of like personality analysis. And I came up aquamarine, which blue in that case was people oriented and green was analytical. So I have a really good uh, mix of both of them. Yeah. It's like That's right, amazing. left brain, which is great. That is, I love it. Yeah. So, so go ahead, go ahead Tracy. <laughs> so much to talk about. I know. <laughs> so little time. Yes. 
<laughs> so uh, so let's let's transition and talk about Illumina and what's going on at Illumina. And, and you've been there for a while, a couple of years, I think. At yes, least. it's going to be two years in June. Mm -hmm. um, Illumina started with operational excellence in up in operations or in the on market space back in 2016. Uh, last year, we started going more upstream into the NPI world. And this year, we actually our team has grown a lot um, because now we're kind of corporate wide. So we have people dedicated to business processes, enterprise, you know, marketing, commercial, um, and we are building our partnerships in those spaces. I feel like it's really interesting because a lot of companies are very like, this is the way in at Illumina we are very fit for purpose. Like what are the tools that make sense in this space? So where in manufacturing would be like lean, some Six Sigma, and NPI or R&D would be very, very Six Sigma oriented. Um, and in finance or other business processes, it would be more in, on the lean side. So we're really trying to not do a one size fits all program. Um, I feel like my boss, Jacob Hilton, is kind of a visionary. He knows where he wants to take the program. And we have been implementing um different things, you know, and now we're getting a lot of pull from facilities, from commercial, from marketing, you know, it's building that track record. And now people are recognizing the work that we're doing and, and pulling um, for our support. Mm -hmm. Yes. And you are sending a lot of people through the UC San Diego Greenbelt program over the years. Um, we got to tour your facility for one of the classes, which I'm really bummed we can't do tours right now because we'd probably be a solid partner with Illumina begging you guys to let us come in there again because it was so interesting seeing how you guys are implementing process improvement. And you went through our leadership course too. So yes. we're big partners. Uh, UCSD is big partners with Illumina, which I'm, I'm happy and proud to say. So <clears throat> how do you think that piece is going? That's probably- Yeah, I, I think it would be really interesting to have you guys now because even with the pandemic, we were able to implement electronic tier boards, um, electronic improvement like suggestion programs, things like that. So it's it kind of, of course, you know, when the pandemic started, everything halted. We stopped for a little bit, but we were very lucky to have the resources to um, work on, you know, electronic tier boards that we still have hybrid meetings where somebody presents on Teams some people are working from home. Some of us are here on site. Um, so it's it's been very transformative and, and very interesting how we have ad adapted. A lot of the people that have gone through the training um, are, are, you know, driving our projects here or participating. I actually have one of my direct reports, Grethel, going through the leadership program right now. And it's super interesting to see her perspective. I love you know, just meeting you guys and now having access to your webinars and, and the network and meeting people. I think that it's so valuable that, you know, it's not just what I know today, but everything that we have learned through, through the programs and, and what we can continue to learn and leverage. So I'm curious, um, cause it's been, you've been on the journey for a couple of years and I like the recognition that different parts of the company are different phases using different techniques and then that's appropriate. 
Are there moments that stand out or use or things that you've seen signals that for you told you, ah, things are changing? In a good way. Yeah, for sure. <clears throat> um, I think like starting this January, right, we got three requests from facilities. We got um, a few other requests from supply chain. So we're getting a lot more pool. Um, we also started doing the operational excellence uh, assessment, kind of like a lean maturity index assessment or just like a, an assessment out on the site. And we started doing it by Valley Stream. Now we're getting pool. It was kind of like bottoms up. And now we're getting kind of, why don't we do it at a site level? I'm like, that's a great idea. And I would love to do that. So <laughs> let's go for it. Uh, so I am seeing people getting it, more people being on board and supporting. Um, I think that that is the reason why our program grew so much. Um, it came directly from our CEO, Francis, that he wanted to make this an enterprise program. So, you know, from two years to now, our, our department has doubled and we have, I, <laughs> Gretel said it best. I think she said, you know, it's almost like you grab the best people from each company and you have it here. Like now you, you hire them here. We really have an all-star team. We're very collaborative. Again, during the pandemic, you know, things get different, um, but we were able to collaborate, redevelop some of our training modules, redeploy our training. Um, and we were meeting, you know, every day in the morning to talk about these things. I think we did a lot of strategic work, long-term work in 2020, and now it's starting to pay dividends. Um, so you're, it's interesting to me, the thing you see most or the, the indicator for you, the biggest indicator or one of them is people reaching out, right. Saying we want, you know, we, right. you're seeing a poll. It's like, they're saying we're ready to take a shower. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. And I mean, even, you know, like our, it, it's very interesting how things are deployed at Illumina, right? It's, it, there's a lot of smart people. So people are kind of skeptical sometimes, like, why should I do this? And that's to me is the best because sometimes they're like, why should I imp imp sorry, implement this improvement program? Why should I implement this idea program? And then when they start seeing the engagement in other areas or the results in other areas, they're like, hey, can you come and help me too? Very cool. I love that. I have a question. So when people go through the training at UCSD, obviously they're doing a project. They do a project as part of the class. What do you have them do to sustain that or to keep applying that at Illumina? Is there any other expectations after certification or getting their certificate? What, what do you We're guys- We're starting to that? do that now. Um, you know, they typically will finish their, their project. I feel like a lot of the value is applying it in, in their day-to-day -day job. Sometimes, you know, in CAPAS or any other quality investigation, things like that. Um, there's a lot of people that have gone through different trainings here. And really, you can see the tool application when they're problem solving, when they're finding issues. Technically, we deal with very complex issues, that you, as you can imagine, with DNA analysis and the chemistry and things like that. So you can really see very cool graphics. Yes. Um, so a lot of people have the opportunity to keep applying the tools during their work. Mm -hmm. We are looking at how to coach, mentor, and 
you know, keep some kind of expectation that it's not just like a one time and, and you're done, right? You, you have to keep applying the tools. We want you to, you know, use it and not lose it. Definitely. Yeah, I like that. I'm working with an organization now and I observe some of the meetings because that's where problem solving is happening, right? Like people are having a meeting and then all of a sudden a problem comes up and they're trying to problem solve. And it it's actually a good baseline to say, you know, are they thinking in the problem solving fashion? Are they thinking identification of the problem? What's the root cause? If we know the root cause, what, what do we think we can do? And is that happening? Is that how they're solving the problem or are they just jumping right to solution? It's really interesting to watch people where the problems happen, where people talk about problems, right? Outside of the training. That has been really interesting to me lately. Yes. And again, um, when COVID hit, we kind of stopped our gambas for a little bit. Um, we actually restarted them last year. We paused in January in some areas because of Omicron, but we're restarting them. And last week, actually on Wednesday, um, one of our I don't know what this department called, but one of our project manager uh, shared services type directors came over to our Gamba walk for one of our areas and brought somebody else. So it, it was that conversation where you want to see, you don't want to speculate. Sometimes when you, we're in the conference room, we're trying to problem solve and we're like so far off from when the, where the problem actually is happening or what is happening, right? So I bring up a couple of examples. Um, we had one of my coworkers in Northern California who, after they had been talking about an issue for about two months, Jerry went over and visited the supplier. And within an hour, he knew exactly what was happening, where it was happening. So it's like, we wasted two months almost. Um, and, you know, if you go see, you're going to be able to really find out quicker what the issue is. And I even tell them about like myself, where sometimes you get an improvement idea and you think you understand and you go downstairs and you're like, oh, that was not what I thought it was. <laughs> yeah, I feel like it's an assumption buster, right? Yes. Because you just can form opinions based on lots of things, right? It's anecdotal. You might have some data. There's lots of things that could send you intelligently down some path. But to your point, walk around the corner go over there or go to the plant, whatever. And suddenly yeah, it's, totally. not what you thought. it's not what you thought. <laughs> yes. Um, so what's your main focus now in terms of bringing the organization, you know, further down the transformational path? So I don't know if I told you guys, but after I went to the leadership training with you, we developed a OPEX or CI leadership deck. So we are training our, um, directors, managers, supervisors, and leads on this um, OPEX leadership. And one of the things that I took from, again, not directly from the training, but after, you know, meeting and, and going to webinars that you guys hosted, like the five C's of psychological safety. So that is something that we're leveraging right now to say, hey, you know, if, if people don't trust you, if people don't even know you, how do you expect to them to tell you their problems, right? Or their issues. Like, how do you expect them to be comfortable bringing up problems that they have? Um, so that's another thing that we incorporated to our leaders, internal leadership training. It's almost like, how do you show up as a leader? Mm -hmm. uh, so that's one of the things that we're doing this year, as well as strengthening our, our continuous improvement culture. So last year, we 
had a lot of tool deployment training on our revamped um, training decks. This year is more again as you know, training leadership, kind of learning to see type learn training, going back to the gamba and um, all of that with with the creating the culture. It's not just tool deployment. Is the tool deployment will only get you so far, but it's like that going back to the basics. Mm-hmm. That's exciting. Yeah, <laughs> I am very excited. Have you already launched it? Have you already started the training this year with the leaders or is it still sort of we in did, the process? I did one and I did not like how the first part fl- uh, was flowing. So I ad- added a couple more things and then I created more opportunities for interaction. So that's another feedback that we're getting. So I made it I, the first time I did an hour, we're going to do an hour and a half at the beginning of March and it's going to be a lot more interactive to say like, what do you think you're supposed to be doing? How do you, because in like the latter part, the last part of the training, we really focus on, okay, specifically for Gamba, this is how you show up for tier board meetings. This is how you show up, but I want them to participate too and, and give me what they think they should be doing. Yeah. That's, that's great. great. Is this virtual or is this in person that you're doing? this? Um, I did it in person. The first time at, at the pilot phase. Um, and it was a very small group. I think we, I had like seven or eight people there. Um, and now we're launching it by areas. Mm-hmm. So that was another kind of, let's try this out. If it doesn't work, we can try it differently. But I said, why don't I give it to my areas? You give it to your areas just to have that personal touch, right? Like it's not somebody that, who are you? Why are you telling me this? But we're going to try it. And it's also not like if you're from a different area, we're going to say, no, you can't attend. But we're first um, making it available for kind of like if I'm presenting, it's going to be my areas. If Grethel's presenting, it's going to be her areas. Just so that we have that um, a little bit of trust already in that relationship. Yeah, I love your focus on the relationships. I think that there's a lot of leaders miss that boat, that it really you're ability to influence and ultimately your ability to be a great leader is dependent on your ability to form relationships that you want people to be in dialogue with you. Otherwise you're not going to know what's on going on in the organization and you can't respond. You can't delegate appropriately. You can't, you know, spread what you're trying to do. I remember one time, I'm not going to say where, but I was, um, I had a production line that I was responsible for. And one day I went there and I started building boxes with the guys. Like I was putting the tape and everything. And my boss walked by and he said, what are you doing? And I'm like, oh, I'm just helping for a little bit. You know, I had like a gap in between meetings or whatever. And he's like, he said something like you're wasting your time. And I'm like, I don't think I'm wasting my time. I'm building the relationship. Like I'm creating, like I'm making them comfortable. Like we can just chat, you know, production floor. If they have an issue, they know they can trust me and come over to let me know. And and I had a very successful um, job relationship with them. And I I didn't tell it him right then and there, but when we had our one-on-one, the next time I said, you know, I didn't have anything else going and I didn't have any other urgencies or priorities that I had to attend to, I had a gap and it's a great way for them to see me and see me as part of their team and be comfortable with me and and trust me. And I would say 
that's fascinating and good for you. And I love the image <laughs> of you building boxes with the guys. And also it feels like you kind of uh, had to respond defensively. I had a, I had a gap. Whereas I think now what I hear from you is you probably should make time for that. Like actively go spend some time with people understanding how does the work flow, what's going on and get to know people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I, my train of thought has really changed and really, you know, I don't feel now that, Oh, I'm going to be wrong or I'm going to be judged for talking about feelings at work. We're not machines, right? We are people, we have other stuff, even people that don't have traditional families or kids, you have broken pipes at home, you have dogs or, or pets that have, you know, medical issues. So it's not, um, I don't see it like, oh, keep your feelings at the door or, you know, I feel more comfortable with, no, this is part. And again, some of the webinars that you, that you have hosted where they talk about, um, new, the, you know, the way that the brain works and, and how you are more open to innovation, creativity, and growth when you are in a positive state of mind. I feel like now I can elaborate more eloquently why this is so important and why it's critical for us to foster this positive environment, um, the relationships, the trust, because that will, you know, this sounds, I don't know, but it, it will drive productivity, revenue, like all of those things that some people want to see. Yeah, I want to see it too. And I know that this is going to help that when people are more engaged in their jobs and they're connected and they want to improve it. It's way better than if you're like, meh, like, I don't care, right? Like, I don't want to do this. I don't care. I'm just here for my paycheck. That's not the, the culture we want to foster. Absolutely. Well said, and you have become quite eloquent, so you should be (laughs) psyched about that. It's so great to listen to you. This is exciting. It's great to see we've been part of your journey, and uh, we're going to stay connected to you because it's really great to see where you're going, and obviously, it's good places, so. Yes, it's a joy when we get to talk with you, Pilar. We loved having you in the leadership course. You are so full of energy and life and power. (laughs) You are girl power, for sure. (laughs) And I love seeing that. So that's why we wanted to have you on this podcast because you have this persona. So anyway, we really want, we really appreciate you coming and we are so excited to have you continue on the journey that we get to cross paths over and over. I can't wait till we have more tours at Illumina. Yes. Thank you, ladies. I really can't wait for you guys to come and see all the work that we've done over the last couple of years. Hopefully soon. Yeah. Hopefully Hopefully soon. Um, well, thank you so much for coming to the cafe. And uh, as we said, we'll we'll have you visit again. And oh, one last question. If they want to get in touch with you. And you want <laughs> them to. <laughs> how would they get in touch with you if they had more questions about Illumina's journey or about you? Um, I'm on LinkedIn at Pilar Zimmerman. Uh, and I don't know, do I give my email address, my cell phone number? <laughs> I think LinkedIn's probably a good place to have a conversation with you. So that's nice. And then share that with them. Yeah. Awesome. Thank Thank you you so much, Pilar. Be sure to register for our March 24th webinar with lean author Dodd Starbird. We're going to do another rare interactive session and he's going to walk us through a real time study and all the solutions that came out of it. 
So don't miss that. Uh, Dot will be there with the client that worked this project and reveal some real surprising solutions. This will be a real world learning treat. I can't wait to see that because Dodd is so engaging anyway, and he's going to be sharing something that I don't think we've done a lot of or many other people have done a lot of since COVID. So I'm really looking forward to that. Me too. If you're planning your own improvement education journey, put our fall semester Lean Six Sigma leadership course on your calendar. We are in the middle of our latest cohort, and this course just keeps getting better because we improve it every time. Yes, we do. <laughs> we do. It's offered through UC San Diego and the fall class starts at the end of September and goes for 12 weeks. So start planning now and we'll provide a link to all of those on our website. We're thrilled to have you come to the cafe. It's a great place because of our fabulous community members like you. So thanks for tuning in. And that means you should definitely join us next month for your jolt of lean caffeine. <laughs>